Good morning, everybody. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's give it up for Amanda, everybody. Thank you, Amanda. Hey, I want to begin this morning by asking a question. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were talking with someone or maybe talking about someone, not realizing who they were or who was around? Like uh, maybe you were talking about some kid at the soccer game, not realizing that that kid's parents were right in front of you, okay? Ever had a moment like that? I was talking with someone uh, yesterday. He said uh, he was at a softball game for one of his kids and one of the parents was misbehaving uh, and he was kind of talking about how this guy shouldn't be doing this and all the while he had no idea that his spouse was sitting right in front of them and had kind of been talking about this uh, husband this whole time right in front of his wife. I want to give you guys a chance to share a moment like that maybe that you've had. 10 seconds, you're not going to have a chance to share the whole thing. Just give the person next to you a little teaser that you can get to later uh, at brunch after service this morning, all right? All right, all right, teaser, teaser done. Teaser's over. We, 
We read from the Gospel of Luke. Amanda just read from the Gospel of Luke. It's uh, the resurrection of Jesus, the first time uh, where Jesus appears. And these two people meet Jesus. They talk with Jesus. They interact with Jesus, all the while having no idea that it's him. And sometimes we approach the Bible so seriously that we miss like thick levels of irony and comedy that uh, appear in the Bible. And this is one of those instances. Like the irony and the comedy is thick, okay? So to help us kind of understand what's going on, to help us understand just this irony and comedy a little bit, I wanted to provide a modern day example, right? So I'm going to ask you to check out this video. This is a video series that Lyft, the company Lyft did. They did a series called Undercover Lyft where celebrities drive with people and pretend like they're not who they are. And it's a whole thing, all right? So this is an Undercover Lyft video with Shaquille O'Neal, all right? What's up, everybody? This is Shaq. We're in Atlanta. This is Undercover Lift, and I am the Big Glow Stash. My name is Charles. Nice to meet you, Charles. and Saika. You know what I do? What do you do? Make bracelets. Make bracelets? Yeah. You know what this is called? What's that called? It's called the Steam Room. Because mm. if you look inside, you can see the steam. See? My name is Pierre. Hey, Pierre. And I'm from France. Angela. Tu parles français? Speaking no French. How are you? I'm Heather. My name's Goose. My real job is I'm a cop. I'm off duty right now, but I still keep an eye out for stuff. Look at this. Illegal U-turn in the middle of the street. Lucky I ain't got my badge, lady. What up, cuz? What's going on? Where you from? I'm from Brazil. We went there one time for a singing competition. Singing? Brigada! Yeah. <laughs> Brigada! I don't know this song. You like basketball? Uh, I recently got into basketball because of the Hawks. Uh, I had a friend who was uh, a Hawks fan. You know what that is, right? It's a dead it's hawk. A, a dead hawk. I want to play ball, but I run funny. My pants get stuck in my butt. You look like the basketball type that I can get down on the court a little bit. Nah, man. I had hoop dreams, but they didn't work out. Did you chase them? You know, I used to chase trains when I was little. You said chase trains? Yes, I used to chase trains. You had a pretty... Pretty rich backstory. Who's your favorite basketball player? I gotta stick with Dikembe. I mean... No, 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 no. No, no, no. Did he block everybody's shot? Mm-hmm. Nobody ever dumped it in his face before? Not that I saw. Not that you saw? Can you rap? Let me hear freestyle. I'm gonna give you a beatbox. Ready? Rolling the lift from a roster. We don't eat pasta. We watching our cars. Stop. That's terrible, man. That I mean, let's see yours, though. I'm good, Drake. <laughs> Don't say pa, cause I don't know, cause I'm from France and yo, 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 Man, I'm, I'm wondering if you are Shaquille O'Neal now, man. No, man, stop it. <laughs> My beard is a truth. <laughs> ah. I look familiar to you. Oh my gosh. You ever seen my face? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! It's me. I didn't know it was you at all. I kind of figured okay. it out like, early on when I saw your wig, sir. <laughs> I love how polite she is. She's like, I saw your wig, sir. <laughs> So good. I love that video. And I want us to kind of like hold on to that. All right. The irony and the comedy that's going on is Shaq is talking about basketball to people and they have no idea that it's Shaq. Okay. Because that's, we don't have Shaq in a lift car, but we have Jesus walking with these two people and talking about Jesus, interacting with Jesus. And all the while they have no idea that it's him. All right. 
it's hilarious. And there's also some richness, uh, some really cool stuff that we want to dive into this morning that I, can, I think just really kind of wrap up our gospel series that we've been uh, moving through over the last several weeks. So I want to uh, bite this off uh, bit by bit and starting by rereading uh, the first few verses in verse 13 to 16. We'll have it on the screen for you to follow as well. It says this, that now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So characteristic of Luke's storytelling, we're first told where, the God, where these characters are coming from and where they are going. You see, the writer of the Gospel of Luke often used places and spaces to communicate more about the story than just the geography. Jerusalem is where they are coming from, and Jerusalem is symbolic. It's the city of God, and these people are headed towards a place called Emmaus. Everybody say Emmaus. Just a nice, easy word. Flows off the tongue, right? Emmaus. And Emmaus, we, we don't know for sure uh, where Emmaus was. But here's what we do know. We have a picture of a map. Uh, this is a best guess of where Emmaus was. You see it's not far from Jerusalem. Here's what we know about Emmaus. It was close enough to Jerusalem to make it there in one day's journey, but it was far enough from Jerusalem to not be considered Jerusalem, okay? So we know that these characters are leaving Jerusalem and they're headed toward Emmaus. And this, this, it's heavy with symbolism. These people, they came to Jerusalem full of hope, pumped about this guy named Jesus. And they're now leaving Jerusalem, having watched him die a most shameful death, a crucifixion. And so they're on their way to Emmaus. And they're on the road, they're chatting it up, they're sort of commiserating together, discussing the things that have happened. And we don't know who these two people are exactly, we're told one of them's name is Cleopas, so uh, we can infer possibly that this is a couple named Cleopas and Mary that are referenced in another gospel. I like to think of it personally as a couple because they're walking along and it says they're talking and discussing things. And the original Greek that's translated as discuss actually has like an argumentative tone to it. So I just imagine this couple kind of walking along, bickering and arguing about the things that have happened, trying to make sense of all that's happened. And in the middle of that, this dude just shows up, right? And we know that it's Jesus, but they don't. Like, we know that it's Shaquille O'Neal, but the people riding in the car don't. We know that it's Jesus. They don't know that it's Jesus. And oftentimes people will ask, like, well, wait, how did they not know that it was Jesus? Like, were they blinded somehow? Did Jesus appear to them not as Jesus? And similar to with the exact location of Emmaus, we can't really pinpoint and say, well, here's how they didn't know that it was Jesus. But we do know this. We do know that Jesus showed up as himself. It says that, that Jesus showed up. So Jesus didn't show up in like some other form looking like someone else. He didn't show up like Emperor Cusco in Emperor's New Groove like a talking llama. Okay, these people weren't like, who is this llama? No, okay, it was Jesus himself showed up. And whether it's a, a combination of the work of God or these people's expectations, they, ha they are blinded to the presence of the resurrected Jesus. The bottom line is this. They didn't know it was Jesus, all right? That's what we need to know. They didn't know that it was Jesus. All right, let's keep reading. Verses 17 to 21 says this. He asked them, so Jesus came up to them and said, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Some translations translate this as they stood still looking sad. 
And then it says this, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Pause for a second. Cleopas. You ever have those people, you probably know some of these people, you might be sitting next to one of them that when something happens that like everyone's supposed to know about, but like you don't know about it and you feel bad about knowing about it, you've even pulled out your phone and like tried to secretly Google like what this thing that everybody's talking about that you don't seem to know about is and you finally have admitted to them, hey guys, what are you talking about? And this person, like Cleopas, like seven times before they tell you what's going on, they want to rub it in your face and ask you every possible way How did you not know about this? I can't believe you haven't seen this. You haven't heard this? This is all over Instagram or all over my newsfeed or whatever. Like, how did you not know about this? This is what Cleopas does to Jesus. So annoying. Anyway, whatever. Uh, And Jesus, I love what Jesus says. He's probably a little annoyed too. He says so sarcastically, what things? Cleopas says, about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. So they tell Jesus about Jesus. But did you notice at the mention of the events that have taken place, at the mention of the name of Jesus, their posture, it says that they stood still, their face looking downcast. To other translations, they stood still looking sad. And then they spend the next few verses that we just read kind of explaining their sadness. And if we read, we begin to see that these people's sadness has two layers. There's two layers to their sadness. The first layer is that Jesus is dead. Jesus has been murdered. He's been crucified and That's sad. But as we keep reading, we see that there's a second layer to their sadness. And this second layer is that Jesus has failed in his death and in his crucifixion. Jesus has failed to meet their expectations. You see, they expected Jesus to redeem Israel. They expected Jesus to liberate Israel and to overthrow the Roman power. And instead, Jesus was arrested by the people he was supposed to liberate, and he was killed by the people he was supposed to overthrow. They are disappointed. They are sad. Their expectations have not been met. They're on their way, on the road to Emmaus, and they're saying, did you catch the phrase? They said, but we had hoped. But we had hoped. Those words combined together always, always at the bottom is unmet expectations and disappointment. But we had hoped. They're lost. They're frustrated. They're unsure of what to do. They find themselves on a road to Emmaus, a road of, but we had hoped. And my guess is that there are many of us in this morn- here this morning that feel like the road to Emmaus is a familiar one. The road of, but we had hoped, feels all too familiar. But we had hoped for that job offer, or but we had hoped for that person to feel the same way that I do about them, for them to feel that way about me. Or, but we had hoped for that money that just does not seem to be showing up, but we really need it. Like, Jesus, where is that money? 
Or, but we had hoped for that addiction that I just cannot believe is not taken care of by now. Or, but we had hoped for that A on the test or to make that team or for things just to be easier. We feel lost. Not sure what to do. We feel on the, like we're on the road of, but we had hoped. And the truth is, I cannot even begin to imagine all of the different things that just in this room we could fill in the blank with, but we had hoped. Even more true is my inability to relate to each and every single one of those things. And even truer than that is my ability or any of our ability to fix those things. All that I can do this morning The only thing that I can do is assure you, assure you that the same way that Jesus showed up to these two people on the way to Emmaus, on their road of, but we had hoped a few thousand years ago, Jesus wants to show up in your life, on your journey, on your road to Emmaus, of your road of, but we had hoped. And if you don't believe me, Let's keep reading. Verses 22 to 24, it says this. In addition, some of our women amazed us. The ladies in the room are like, uh, yeah, duh. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Two things, really quick. The first thing is maybe you caught it. We cannot ignore the way that the the women's vision, the way that women see and hear the resurrected Jesus, their perspective has sort of been pushed to the side by these two people, Cleopas, one of them. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a group of women who are the first people to see and hear of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus. Now, Luke would have no reason, no literary or, or uh, no strategic reason whatsoever to include these women as the first to hear and see of the resurrected Jesus unless it were true. Unless it were true. And we just have to pay attention to that, acknowledge that, and say we, 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 we want to repent of that. We cannot ignore the pushing aside of these women's perspective. And as I was preparing for uh, the message this week, I just felt God kind of nudging me to, to, to remind something uh, to the ladies in the room who are like, yeah, my perspective feels like it's getting pushed aside all the time or whatever. Okay, I, I just want to let you know something. I felt like God nudging me to, to say this to you. So, la- so gentlemen, don't close your ears because you should hear this, but this is for the ladies, okay? God wants to use you in powerful and unimaginable ways. God's creation was not finished without you. And God's mission for his church will not be finished without you either. All right, just hear that this morning. All right, second thing, more directly related to the text, it's a question that you might be asking. It's one that I'm asking as I read. And the question is this, why are these two people leaving? 
Why are they leaving? I mean, they, they clearly, they, they've said that there's these rumors of the tomb being empty, right? We, we can infer that these people had heard or seen some of the teachings or some of the miracles of Jesus. We know that they witnessed the crucifixion. We know that they know about the rumors of the, of the fact that the tomb is empty. And so we must ask the question, why leave? Is it because that these Jesus failed to meet their expectations, that they expected power and liberation, and instead they got crucifixion, and they were like, you know what, we're out of here. Is it because they failed to see Jesus' crucifixion as a possibility for the way that he might want to redeem and liberate Israel? Is it because resurrection isn't really what they were after? We can't say for sure. But we can know for sure that Jesus is beginning to get a little frustrated. He says this in verse 25, he says this to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ooh, spicy Jesus. He says this, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, we're going to pause because this is like, this is a key moment. All right, Jesus explains the scriptures to them. He points to all the different spots in the scriptures that point to himself and still Nothing, all right? Crickets. These people are not getting it. And Jesus at this point must just be like, oh my word, what do I have to do for you people, <laughs> right? And uh, in one translation, it says that he pretended to go further. In the NIV, it says he acted as if he were going further. You ever uh, see the movie scenes where somebody like delivers like an ultimatum and then they start walking away and like you see the character's face and they're like doing like the three, two, one. And then the person's like, stop. And the character's like, yeah, I knew it all along. Okay, all right. Yeah, let's do the thing. That's kind of how I imagine this spot in, in the gospel of Luke. Jesus, it says, he pretended as if he were going further. I imagine him being like, three, two, one. And they're like, stay with us. And he's like, yeah, okay, duh. Finally, all right, let's give it one more shot. Let's sit down and have a meal. And when Jesus sits down to have a meal, it's like the equivalent of like Shaquille O'Neal in the, in the undercover lift, like pulling over the car and ripping off his, his uh, beard or whatever, right? It's like the, susp the suspense is at its height. Because when Jesus sits down to have a meal, things happen. All right, Torn talked about this last week. When Jesus sits down to have a meal, eyes are opened, lives are changed, the gospel is proclaimed. In fact, there are, there's an entire chunk of the Gospel of Luke, four chapters that are called the meal scenes. It's just a slew of Jesus having meal and teaching, having a meal and teaching, the meal scenes. Having a meal is the first thing Jesus does when he's resurrected with his disciples, these two people. It's the last thing that Jesus does before his death with his disciples. When Jesus eats, people's eyes are open, lives are changed. And in the Gospel of Luke, we see a, a real pattern not just here, but in other spots in the Gospel of Luke. It's this, Jesus breaks bread, he blesses it, eyes are opened, 
and lives are changed. This is a pattern that we see. You, you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll see this pattern. Jesus breaking bread and blessing it. And then eyes being opened and lives being changed. And sure enough, that's what we have here. Let's read in verse 30 to 32. It says this, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So Jesus breaks the bread, he blesses it, and these people's imagination is transformed. Their eyes are open, they realize, they recognize the resurrected Jesus. Their hope is restored. Yay! This is a silent clap at Kennershay. This is what we do. Everybody silent clap for the two people on the road to Maze. They recognize Jesus, right? It's this awesome, powerful moment. Now, we've been saying in this entire series, which I don't even know how many weeks we've done, been doing this gospel series now. I forget. But we've been saying from the very beginning that the gospel is the story of God from start to what? Finish. That's right. The gospel is the story of God from start to finish. It's not just a prayer we pray. It's not just a, a tract. It's the story of God from start to finish. And as we close this series out this morning, I just want to give one more tiny example of that, the way that the gospel is the story of God from start to finish. Because Luke is doing something massive here in this last bit that we just read. Luke is drawing a massive parallel here in this meal scene to the very first meal in all of the Bible involving a man and a woman, a tree, and a fruit in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we're, we're going to pull it up here and side by side to the, uh, the verse in Luke. You see here that it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. This was the story that had been told from generation to generation to generation. It's told still today as the, an explanation of the, the sorrow of humanity, of decay, of death itself. This passage in Genesis 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 6 and 7 was the first meal of the old creation. It was the first meal of the old creation. And Jesus, with some strangers on the road to Emmaus, sits down and has a meal. And we read in chapter 24, verse 30 to 31, it says, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. It's implied that they ate. And then it says, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized. What did they recognize? Not their nakedness, not their guilt, not their shame. They recognized him. They recognized the resurrected Jesus. As you can see, Luke is making a bold claim that that was the first meal of the old creation, but now with the resurrected Jesus, with two people on the road to Emmaus, Luke is saying this is the first meal of the new creation. This is the first meal of the new creation. That the curse has been broken, sin and death defeated. God's new creation is here in the resurrected Jesus. Let's read this last little bit. 
verses 33 to 35, it says, They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon and the women. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. There's a, a detail of this story that I think just so beautifully puts a little ribbon on our gospel series. It's why one of the reasons why I, I love this narrative, why it's so important, why it matters. And, and the detail is this. Jesus is invited into this meal as the guest. He's invited in as a guest. They say, stay with us. He accepts their invitation. When he accepts that invitation, he becomes a guest. But did you notice who breaks the bread? Who blesses it? Who begins this meal? Jesus. As the guest. Now, just like today, 2,000 years ago, the custom for when you are hosting someone is that you, as the host, explain the meal. You break the bread. You bless it. You invite people to begin to take part in it, right? That's your role as the host. When Olivia and I have people over to our house, we invite them and we say, welcome to our home. Here is our meal. We're going to break bread. We're going to bless it, right? That's our role as the host. But Jesus does this as the guest. Here we have a powerful moment in the Gospel of Luke, and it's not the only one like it, where Jesus, invited as the guest, becomes the host. Where Jesus is invited in as the guest and becomes quickly the host. And here's what I love about this story. It's such a powerful image, a powerful reminder of the ways that Jesus doesn't just do this with meals. Jesus does this with lives. When Jesus is invited in as the guest, he quickly becomes the host of our lives. He offers us the bread of new life and our eyes are opened and our lives are changed. A new creation begins. Friends, this is what Jesus does with our lives. We invite him in. He quickly becomes the host. He offers us him, the bread of new life, and he, our eyes are opened, our lives are changed, and a new creation begins. This story is titled, The Road to Emmaus. The title implies one road, one journey. But there are actually two roads. There are actually two journeys in this story. The first road is the road to Emmaus. The road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a road of, but we had hoped. It's a road full of disappointment and unmet expectations and pain and anger and sadness. And all that you can see on the road to Emmaus usually is the crucified Jesus. It's a road of but we had hoped. But there's a second road, a second journey at the end of this story. It's the road from Emmaus to Jerusalem. And on the road to Jerusalem from Emmaus, eyes are fixed on the power, the presence, and the peace of the resurrected Jesus. There's a realization and a recognition that the tomb is empty. Not that the tomb isn't there, not that there isn't anger, not that there isn't sadness, disappointment, unmet expectations. But on the road from Emmaus to Jerusalem, eyes are fixed on the power and the presence of the resurrected Jesus. That there is a new creation beginning. And it is my hope, it is my prayer 
That over the course of the last several weeks, even this morning, that God has moved in some powerful ways to move us from the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a road that we are all very familiar with, a road that many of us may find ourselves on this morning, a road of, but we had hoped, full of unmet expectations and sadness and anger and pain. I mean, honestly, our world feels like it's on the road to Emmaus right now, right? Like this week with Texas, a few weeks ago with Buffalo, there is pain, pain there's anger, there's sadness, there's disappointment, there's unmet expectations. We feel we're on the road of, but we had hoped. It is my prayer that over the course of the last several weeks and this morning that Jesus, what the resurrected Jesus is doing is he's turning us around and he's pointing us back to Jerusalem on the road from Emmaus to Jerusalem with the realization and the recognition of the empty tomb. That Jesus is offering us the bread of new life opening our eyes, changing us, offering us new creation, and that my hope, my prayer, is that all along the way, wherever we're at this way or that way, whatever it is, that we would be like the two people on the road to Emmaus saying to Jesus, stay with us. Stay with us. Because friends, when we invite Jesus in as the guest, he becomes the host. And all of a sudden, everything starts changing. We move from the road to Emmaus to the road from Emmaus. Our disappointments turn to joy. Our despair turns to hope. Our expectations fall to the ground because the resurrected Jesus changes everything. Jesus came teaching a new way of life, a new order. He called it the kingdom of God. And he said that because he had arrived, it had arrived. And Jesus' death, his crucifixion, called all of that into question. And many believed this new way of life, this new order was over. It was done with. But three days later, the tomb was empty. And the resurrection of Jesus proves once and for all that this new way of life, this new order, this kingdom of God cannot be stopped. Even by death itself. This is the gospel.